Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Good morning. It is good to be up here again. And uh, I, I just got to say, I'm, I'm glad that we as a church send our, our lead pastor, Ryan, off to teach other places because it gives me a chance to teach here. So he's back today, but he's been working all week. And so... Uh, I'm glad to be able to, to jump in here and, uh, and teach a psalm in our road trip playlist, okay? So we're, we're back in the psalms, and I want to encourage you to jump over to, to Psalm 129 today. Um, and it's an interesting, interesting psalm. In fact, um, I got to be here a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago actually, uh, we were studying Psalm 124. And little did I know at the time that Psalm 124 and Psalm 129 are the only ones that have instructions to chant. If you remember, I began that time um, having you chant this phrase. If the Lord had not been on our side, I said that, and then you said... Yeah, yeah, it was like that. It was like that. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. You know, um, uh, this, this week... We have a psalm with the same instructions. There's only two in the Ascent Psalms that are like that, and I chose both of them. And so uh, what it says is a, a phrase, and then it says, let Israel, let Israel say. So it's in Scripture, it is instructions on worship, on what to say. And so um, we're going to try that, but I got to thinking, um, I don't know if I want to be known as the chant guy. I'm not going to do this every time I get up here, okay? But, um, but just so happens that the scripture, you know, is telling me that. But I, bet, I thought, I better, I better do some research on chanting in order to get this right. And so I, I went online, and there's a PDF that I found called Good Chance for Lively Protests. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, there's some great songs, too. And, uh, and there's all sorts. All the gems are in here. All of them. You know, you could find there's 168 different protests. Um, I like this one. Um, Want to know what all the fuss is? We're standing up for justice. Almost rhymes. So it's close. It's close. And so um, there's all sorts of them, 168 of them. Now, um, the one that we're going to chant here in just a second wasn't in there. Um, and part of me thinks I, I kind of wish that our psalmist for today would have read this because it gives you some great advice. Things like, um, you know, keep your chants short, which this one's short. Um, simple, upbeat, and rhythmic. That's, that's nice. That's a good idea. And then it says this, um, it's a good idea to road test the chants with a, a small group in advance of the action to make sure they flow smoothly. That's word-for-word word advice out of this book. Um, this, this chant was not road tested, I don't think, at least not in English and not this way, because what I'm going to ask you to say, to repeat after me, as Scripture tells us to, is this. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yeah, I'm not going to have you repeat that one again. <laughs> this is just not. I, 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 I thought to myself, why are they chanting? Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Now, fortunately, it doesn't end there, it continues. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Now, there, there's, some, there's some hope there, right? Uh, we, it, it's, it's a statement saying, it's talking about Israel, um, the, the me here, 
is the collective Israel. It's personifying Israel. That Israel has been afflicted. Uh, greatly can be both, it could be um, translated in, in quantity also. So um, the NASB, NASB says, uh, many times they've afflicted me. So it's both in quantity and in quality. Uh, afflicted. NIV translates oppressed. The NAS is persecuted. This is, this is bad things happening. And it's happened a lot. The idea is from my youth is talking about since the beginning of the Israel nation that they have been afflicted. And yet I thought to myself, I mean, it's a, it's a fight song. This is the worship leader supposed to get everybody shouting this, proclaiming this. And I got to thinking, man, this sure would be better if it said greatly had they afflicted me from my youth, but we have overcome, but we have prevailed. We are victorious. That sounds more like a fight song, right? And yet this one, it's almost like chanting for a tie. (laughs) Yet they didn't quite win. And yet neither did we. This is not a, a... a fight song for someone who has won. This is a fight song for someone who has just barely survived. This is a, a chant of people who were the unlikely and unexpected heroes. They were the ones who didn't have all the resources. They weren't even expected to compete. They were knocked down but not destroyed. And they lived to fight another day. They were the ultimate underdogs. And I got to thinking to myself, maybe this group of underdogs was a little like someone. Who was it? All right. All right. So my... My, um, my, my playlist for this week, um, the, 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 the song that came to mind was more, less of a song and more of a, an entire movie. And so I figure we're, we're moving our, our road trip playlist into the modern day with video, okay? So th- this is, this is the, the image that came to mind of Rocky, the ultimate underdog. Right? This is one of the greatest underdog moments in cinema. By the way, um, this movie is 45 years old this year. Um, so if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, but you've had your chance, okay? This is a movie. This is a movie about, about a guy who was not even supposed to compete. He was knocked down. And at least in the original movie... He doesn't even win. He loses. And yet he doesn't in a unique way, right? It's it's someone who, it's not quite a tie, but he couldn't say that Apollo Creed prevailed over him. This is the Israelite people. This is the Jewish people. They... Are the underdogs. And what we're seeing today in Psalm 129 is a fight song for underdogs. See, when it says that they are uh, greatly afflicted from their youth, um, it, it, 
it's pointing out the fact that they've been afflicted for a long time. In fact, I want to suggest to you that while this is a fight song for the underdogs, that our book is a book of underdogs because we worship the God of underdogs. That our God loves underdogs. I, I know that because it's hard to find a hero in the pages of this book that is not an underdog. It's not someone that you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have guessed would win. That if you were to stack up all the odds, you would say, wow, they don't have a chance. That is the majority of the heroes in this book. In fact, it's harder to find heroes that aren't underdogs than to find heroes that are. We have a book full of underdogs. And I, I believe that God loves using underdogs to, to, to complete his purposes. Because as Deuteronomy 7, 7 says... And not have that up, it's supposed to have be up there, that we worship the God of underdogs. Deuteronomy 7 says, it was not because, of, because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loved, loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. You see, what, what, what God is saying here to the people of Israel, you were the underdog. I chose you because you were the least. I think God loves using underdogs. And you see, like I said, the, when it says that greatly they, they have afflicted me, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, it doesn't just say that in my youth they afflicted me. Because the Israelite people were definitely afflicted in their youth, okay, as, as a nation. They went, went away to Egypt. They were made slaves. And that's what it's getting at in the youth of Israel, that they were afflicted. And yet that continued time and time again. In fact, we read in the book of Judges that they were persecuted by the Philistines, the Syrians, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, and others, and sometimes again and again by the same people groups. During the time of the Jewish monarchy, the northern kingdom was harassed by the Syrians and then later destroyed by the Assyrian, Assyrians. Now, King Josiah, the southern kingdom, was killed by an Egyptian evasion, but then later the, the nation was taken away and destroyed by the Babylonians. These are a people that were continually and continually afflicted time and time again. And it, it hasn't stopped. The list of people who have, of nations, of powers, who have wanted to end Israel is a, quite an impressive list. That the Greeks, that the Romans, in fact, almost all the European nations at the time of the, in the Middle Ages... Of course, we, we know the atrocities of Nazis trying to end Israel, even today. There are countries, nations surrounding Israel trying to end Israel, and yet Israel survives. There's something powerful about that. You see, the fact is that this is still a song that Israel can sing. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. They are still afflicting me today. There's something powerful about the fact that Israel survives. 
And I want to suggest that there's actually something powerful about the fact that the church survives as well. Because while Israel can sing the song of the underdog, I think the church can too. In fact, I think we should. I think we're supposed to. I think we're being asked to. Because we are underdogs. Do you realize that the very fact that we're even here today is, is an absolute miracle? This is, this is proof that God exists. Just, uh, just this last week on Thursday, we finished up uh, an apologetic series here at the church uh, where we've been studying uh, the uh, you know, kind of proof for the existence of God and all sorts of things. And, and um, really, really uh, great study. But we had a guy named J. Warner Wallace come. And, uh, and he was talking about Jesus. And he's talking about what makes him so unique. Because the truth of the matter is, do you realize that if anybody at the time living in, in Palestine around the time of Jesus, if, they, if you would have asked any single person who they'd be talking about in 2,000 years, do you realize that, that none of them would have said Jesus? That would have not have crossed their mind. They would have assumed that someone in power, someone like Pontius Pilate, he would have been the most well-known person in that region. And yet, we didn't even know who exist- he existed without the record of a guy named Jesus. What J. Werner Wallace pointed out was a slide that I'm borrowing from him. He said this, that Jesus was born in an obscure village, raised in another obscure village, spent only three short years as an itinerant preacher. He he never traveled more than 200 miles from his birthplace. He was rejected by the religious, hunted by the powerful, eventually abandoned by many who followed him. One disciple betrayed him, another denied him, mocked and falsely accused by his enemies, never wrote a book, never held office, never led an army, never married, never had a family of his own, never even owned a home, suffered a mock trial, was humiliated and unfairly executed, had to use a borrowed grave. That, that is the story of someone in history that should be no one, should have been forgotten, and yet we gather around his name today. That is a miracle. But the truth of the matter is we, we serve, we follow the underdog of all underdogs. That's who Jesus is. And I think that our psalm today is telling us that we are the underdogs also. That we are the underdogs. As underdogs, it said that the plowers plowed my back. They made long their furrows. This is what Israel saying about their oppressors, about the people who had, who had ruled over them, about the world around them. That it's, it's, a, it's a farming metaphor, right? That, that here they were being treated as if they were land, as if it were farmland, as if it was a commodity that was used without regard for its sustainability, that it was abused, that it was tortured, it has the, the imagery of, of lashes down someone's back, pain, struggles. This is the life of Israel. And so why do they sing this? 
I want to suggest that God, God has this in his book for a very particular reason. And he actually loves, he loves using underdogs. Why, why does he love using underdogs? I think it's because they know where their help comes from. If, if you're an underdog, if you're someone, if you're someone who, who, who shouldn't be winning, the only way you do is if someone else is helping. If you're the least of all peoples and you survive, there's another power. And what it does is it points to that power. You see, Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our, of our Lord. You see here that what we are supposed to do is not trust in the stuff that we have. We're not supposed to, to, to trust in the power that we have. We're not supposed to trust in political power. We're not supposed to trust in buildings. We're supposed to trust in the Lord. That's where our trust lies, and especially the underdog, because that's all we can trust in. It's when we have all the other stuff that we start being tempted to trust in our own work, our own finances, my savings account. I start wanting to trust in that. You see, there's a simplicity of the underdog that can't trust in anything. And I think we have something to learn from that. You see, because only then can we recognize the truth of Jesus' words to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your underdogness. <laughs> the fact that you can't, the, the fact that you're weak, that we can't do it on our own. That's how his power is made perfect. Therefore, I, Paul's saying, we should boast all the more gladly of my weakness, of the fact that we are underdogs. We can't do it on our own. We're not going to make it unless we find help so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, the power of Christ does something. In fact, it does something here for the, our people in Psalm 129. It says in verse 4 that the, the reason that they can sing this is only because, verse 4, the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. He is tzaddik, is this word. He is righteous. He is the one who is faithful. He's the one who is faithful to his promises. That's what this is getting at. And because he is faithful, it says that he has cut the cords of the wicked. And see, now, some psalms have um, mixed metaphors all over the place. I actually think this one is keeping with the same metaphor throughout. It, it starts with being plowed on their backs. And now, as far as we can tell, the cords that are cut, the cords of the wicked, are the cords that, that would have attached to oxen. The, the oxen would have attached to the plow. And here he's saying, now... God has cut their cords so that the, the powerful have no sway over me. They can't harm me anymore. The, the cords have been cut. But now, this is where I, I think to myself, well, that's, that's great. God took away their power, but I want justice. I, 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 want, I want them to pay. I don't want them just to, you know, just for, 
them to not be able to hurt me anymore. I want to hurt them. Anyone ever feel like that? We want to uh, feel like that way with our enemies? That we want justice, we want people to pay? Okay, come on. <laughs> Anybody ever feel that way? Yep, okay, I got the kids saying that. Thank you, being honest. If you don't, if you don't, then I don't think you can relate to the next part. Because that's exactly what our psalmist, where our psalmist goes next. Our psalmist is, I think, a little bit frustrated that, he, that God only cut the course of the wicked. And he wants more. Because look what happens next. He says, may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backwards. What he's saying is, I want everybody who is against, against God's way, against Zion, I want them all to not, not to have any honor. They don't get any honor. In fact, I want them to be humiliated. I want them to be turned back around and sent home packing in front of all to see. He says, let them be like the grass on the house, housetops, which withers before it grows up. Okay, now this is an imagery um, about, the, about the way roofs were structured back then. They were made with, with hay, with thatched roofs, and the, the hay was held together by mud. So it's basically just dirt. And sure enough, seeds would land in there and weeds would sprout on your roof. But it was the type of plant that no one cared about. And so it's the type of plant that, that the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binders of sheaves his arms. In other words, it just dies. It withers before it grows, is what he's saying. So he's saying, I don't want anything that you do to be productive. I don't want it to be successful. And then I think he gets at the worst part. He says in verse 8, nor do those who pass by. In other words, he's saying, I don't want even somebody who is walking by and sees you. I don't want even them to say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. I don't want you to receive even the hint of a blessing. And then the psalm just ends. And I'm supposed to preach that. So there you go. Be shamed, be unproductive, not even worth a prayer. Wow. I thought we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. What's going on here? You see, this gets us to something interesting with Psalms. And, and, and actually, I think this brings us to an invitation that is here in the Psalms. So this is a Psalm uh, that is one of, there's about 15 or so Psalms, depending on how you count them, um, that are called imprecatory Psalms. Okay, that's, a, that's just a, a fancy theological word for a curse Psalm. <laughs> a, a Psalm, and there's, like I said, there's, there's quite a few of them, a Psalm that, that invites God to bring down curses on their enemies. Well, I think there's an invitation in these, though. Because it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like something I can pray. Now, what we realize, though, is that the Psalms are our prayer book. We're, we're supposed to learn how to pray here in the, psalm, in the Psalms. Um, but do you ever pray like this? Do you ever pray curses on God's enemies? 
It's not, not a prayer I pray a lot. I don't know that I, I picture Jesus praying prayers like this all that much. At least not in my head, not the way I picture Jesus. And yet, this is Jesus' prayer book. So what's happening here? I, I don't want to tell you, you know, don't pray like this. Because all scripture is useful, right? We, we don't ignore psalms like this. We continue to preach them. But Why? I think a number of things are happening here, and I think there's some things we can learn from this, but one of them is that I, I, I think that, and it might seem, sound strange, but I, I think there's a very strong invitation for us today, and that is an invitation of all psalms like this. Whenever you come across a psalm that kind of ends like this and is, is harsh on people, I think it's an invitation to pray. It's an invitation to pray as you are, not as you should be. Because here's the thing, um, just because they prayed this didn't mean that God went and cursed the people like that, okay? That didn't mean that God's saying, oh, I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go do whatever you say. No, in fact, I'm kind of glad that God doesn't do everything I say in prayer, right? If God did everything we, we asked for, I mean, this would be, you know, there'd be problems. There'd be big problems. But then again, there's times when I pray things out of how I'm feeling, and I pray things that are not always the nice things. Because let's face it, in prayer, we often, we often think that we need to be good. We need to be like we should be. As if God's going to say, I'm so ashamed of you for bringing that to me. Do you realize that this is an invitation because God's saying, I can take whatever you have. I can... I mean, the fact is he knows what you're thinking. And so when we're dishonest with him and we say the flowery should be things, we say the nice things, then we're just being dishonest. We're being the hypocrites that Jesus talks about, how we're not supposed to pray. The invitation is to take all your anger and frustration and take it to God as they are. Now, first, recognize, though, that um, in that psalm, he's not, um, he's not cursing people. Okay, we don't curse people. He, remember, our, our, our enemy, our struggle is not against the flesh and blood. It's not against people. Right? Our, our, our struggle is against the, the powers of this dark world. That's where our struggle is. It's against the enemies of darkness. Right? Uh, it's, it's against these structures, and that's what he's, he's mad at. And so his prayer is not bringing curse down on a person but against the structures that hate Zion, that hate the ways of God, that are against God's ways. And you know what? When we pray those kind of prayers, when we're angry at the things that God is angry at, do you realize that we agree with God? That we agree with God. Now, God may not like the way that we say it, or you know, all our answers, but we can agree with God. In fact, um, I gotta be honest with you, there's, there's a lot in life that, that I pray these kind of prayers with, about. In fact, um, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm a little frustrated. <laughs> I'm a little frustrated with God right now. If I can be vulnerable with you and honest. Just yesterday, on, in this room, we had a funeral for a 45-year-old father of three that was taken way too soon. I'm frustrated about that. It doesn't make sense to me. 
And you know what? This is the way the prayer has been in my life. Because at the same time, I've got a, I've got a grandmother who has been, had dementia for at least five, seven years. She hasn't known who anyone is. She's, she's living in a terrible condition. Do you realize I, I pray for her? I pray for her that, God, would you just take her home? I want her to be home with Jesus. She's a saint. She's, the re- she's one of the reasons I'm here today. I mean, she's an amazing woman of God. I want her to go home. I want her to go home, and yet I want those three kids to have a dad. It's just, it's just not fair. And so uh, this is an invitation to all of us that we can pray that. And we can say, God, why? And you know, when I pray that prayer, you know, you know what I, I hear? I, I wish I were here, God, just fix it. But you know what I hear is, I know. I know. I hate that too. I, I, did, I never wanted death. I never wanted it to be that way. In fact, I, I hate it more than you do. Because you think I hate death. Do you know how much God hates death? He hated death so much that he sent his son to the cross. He hates death way more than we do. And so this is an invitation. Injustice in life, terrible things, it's going to happen. We're not going to win. We're not going to win all the time. In fact, we're going to lose. We're told that. And so we can come to God. He's there with us. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. And so the Spirit's there to pray for us as we ought, when we don't know how. The Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. You guys, this is the invitation of these psalms. And so while I, I, well, I, I don't like it, I don't like losing. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I want to win. Anybody else out there with me? Anybody else want to win? Yeah, we want to win. And we live in a world where winning is the way to go, right? Where we, people want to win at all costs. But this is a psalm written to people who hate Zion. And I'm just going to go on a limb and suggest that there's no, no one in here that hates Zion. <laughs> no one in here is actively hating the ways of God. Okay, and if you are, let's talk afterwards. Um, that's a, that's a different story. I'm guessing that actually most of us in here are, love God. And yet, we also love winning. And what I'm suggesting and what the Bible suggests is, is loving God actually involves losing more than winning. That we are going to be underdogs. Not just in my youth, but from my youth that we will continue to be underdogs. This is Jesus' invitation to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what is a man profit? To gain the whole world, to win, and yet forfeit his soul. He's telling us we're going to lose. This is, this is not a fun message, is it? We're going to lose. We are underdogs. And yet we want to win. And so what I, what I think that we find in here is, is maybe not a direct correlation because you're not hating Zion. But I think 
that we can learn some lessons for those of us who want to win in life, okay? Because those of you who are out there who just want to win, I've got a few warnings for you. The first comes right out of, right out of the verse 5 there. And uh, it says, may all who hate Zion be put to shame. The point is that an honorable loss is better than a shameful win. Because here he's talking about people who were winning at the cost of hurting Israel, hurting God's ways. And what I want to suggest is that it's better to lose honorably than to win shamefully. Because how many of you have, uh, have, ever, have ever like pushed and pushed and pushed to win so much so that afterwards you look back and said, oh, I was a jerk. How many of you, how many of you won an argument but lost the fight? Don't nudge each other. I know, I know, I've done that. Right? We, we, we do that. And yet we live in a day where we, people try to win at all costs. They will cheat and connive and manipulate their way to win. And that is not the Christian way. We're called to, to lose. And we will. We stand under the cross. Which is the sign of, of Jesus' defeat. That is our symbol. And so the second curse, the second curse is wrapped up in this, uh, this idea, uh, this analogy, right? And, and it says that these plants need to wither. He's praying that they wither before they grow. The truth is we're, we're all, we all want to grow, but there's a way to grow. And there's a, the, a biblical way to grow. It's not the way they were growing. What he's saying to the people there, to the, the powers that they were to sprout up, and I pray that you, yeah, you're sprouted up now, you're strong now, you look great, but I pray you wither. It was his prayer. And for all of us who want to win, we have to be careful that we don't, we don't choose short-lived gain over the way that we're supposed to grow in the Christian life, which is painful, slow growth. That painful growth is better than short-lived gain. That's what this is a warning about. That we need to be people who choose, who choose the way of Jesus, which the way that Paul describes, he says everyone who competes in the games, we're, we're in Olympic times right now, so we understand this, but those people go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, to get a medal, right? But we do it to gain a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is willing to take this step of painful growth. And so should we. We need to be careful of the, of the idea that we can have short, short-lived gain. It's just not it's not the way of Jesus. So the final curse is the strongest, like I said. And it's saying that I don't want you to have any blessing. But he's saying that, he's saying to the people, they don't even want him to, them to have God's blessing. And this was not so subtle jab to suggest to them that, that as the Israelite people, they actually have God's blessing no matter what happens. 
See, they were the people who claimed God's blessing. And yes, they were afflicted. Yes, they were persecuted. But they had God's blessing. And what they're saying is, I don't want you to have any of it, even though you may feel successful. And the point is, that we need to remember, is that losing with God is better than anything without him. It doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter how successful we are, how many cars we have, how many businesses we run. Whatever that is, it doesn't matter how successful we are. Because losing with God, being persecuted with God, is better than anything without him. Remember, this is part of our call. Part of our call is to, is to lose, to lose yourself, to deny yourself. That's what Jesus did. But there's a reason for our affliction. And this gets at one of the observations about this psalm that has been most helpful for me. It's as, as if they were saying, your affliction may have felt like long furrows on your back. It may have been painful. It may have been painful growth. It, it may have been difficult. But at least when backs are plowed, they're plowed for a purpose. Because if this analogy is the same throughout this passage, there's two plants. There's a plant that grows something, and something is produced out of, and there's a crop, and then there's a plant that just withers and dies. And, and it's as if they're saying, hey, at least, at least there's a reason for what God is doing. And I want to tell you that there is a reason. There's a reason that we are the underdogs. Because as underdogs, we can point to the one who has victory, to the one who wins. Because this is a fight song, and it's a fight song for underdogs. And we fight. We don't give in. But we fight from a very particular place. You see, we fight along with Paul who can say we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. You see, there's a reason there's a reason that, that we suffer. There's a reason that we're the underdogs. And it's so that the life of Jesus may be manifest. Because we fight, but not, we fight not to earn. We fight not to win victory. The victory has already been won. The victory has been won for us. And so it's not up to us to earn victory. We fight from a different place. We fight. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It is from a place of Jesus already won. Uh, he's already won. That's why we fight. It is thanksgiving out of the love that we have for what he's done for us. That's what propels us forward. That's what helps us move. You see, it's Jesus who said, and he's promising in this world you will have, you will have, you have tribulation, but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. 
And because of that, because we fight from a place of victory, that we are not trying to earn the victory, we can cry out, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus. You see, that's what we celebrate as underdogs. And that's, that's what can only be celebrated as underdogs. We didn't win it. It's not up to us to win it. It's up to us to thankfully respond. Because he's won, he's won the battle for us. Now we ask, how, how can we live? How is it that we can respond in grace driven obedience because of what he's done. And that's our challenge today. And it's very, very fitting that today we celebrate the, the meal of the underdog. The, the meal of the one who gave his life. What we're actually doing is celebrating celebrating the, the defeat. Because Jesus is the one who actually grasped victory out of literal defeat. On the cross, he said, this is my victory. So I want to invite you to take out your elements. And together... Let's remember who won victory for us and exactly how he did that. You see, on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus needed to actually live out the denial, self-denial, to say, I, I, I'm not going to do what I want. Jesus prayed for what he wanted. He didn't want to go to the cross. He did anyway. He denied himself. He picked up his cross. And on that night, he took bread and, and broke it. And, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. After supper, he took the cup and saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for winning the battle for us. Thank you for overcoming. Thank you for giving us a chance to proclaim that death has no sway over me. Thank you that you have won, and we pray that our lives would point to you, that our lives living not as underdogs, not having to win ourselves, but allowing you to take the victory, us decreasing so that you might increase. Oh, Lord, that's our prayer, and we worship you name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.